What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Grabs Podcast. If you're listening to this, you probably already know what we do here. But in case you stumbled in, this is the first one you're hearing. Our goal here is simple. It's to highlight our wins and learn as much as we can from actual firegrounds um, in the hopes of making us all a little smarter, more effective, and more efficient. Our guest today wants to remain, excuse me, remain anonymous, but we're fortunate enough to hear his powerful story that we can all learn from his experience. So thank you so much for coming in here tonight. Hey, no problem. So while remaining anonymous, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of your journey, your experience, and then your department a little bit as well? Yeah, I'm a 19-year firefighter. I've spent 19 years on a volunteer department where currently I'm chief. Um, I've done almost 15 years on a paid department in a larger town uh, near the small town that I live in. Perfect. And this one's a little bit more nebulous, but what's the search culture like within a department? So like who typically searches, how many crews are searching? Uh, how are you prioritizing search? Is it like water and then supply and then search typically or water search and then supply? Um, and then kind of to build off that last question, as much as I'm interested in the product, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just as interested, if not more so in the process. So how often do you guys train on search as well? In our Volunteer department up here, I like to train on searches a minimum of once a year, if not twice a year. It gets really hard with a small department to uh, get everyone down there, but at least once a year, we like to do search uh, patterns, search training. Okay, and when you guys go to like a single family dwelling house, where does search fall in your order of operations? Do you triage search uh, after water? and after supply, or is it kind of depends on the, on the scenario? It really depends on the scenario. I mean, if there's a life safety issue, when we roll on scene, um, search is my number one priority. Uh, time is of the essence, and it all depends on what the fire is like. What, what, what are your conditions when you roll up on scene? That has a lot to do with it. If, if there's survivability or not, you can kind of judge that. You never want to think that because we're trained to go in and search but you know it, it all depends on the size up but life safety is number one we're going to try to get in as quick as we can and then I'd say water I'm, I'm a fast water guy yeah water and search I mean those two right there uh, that's about as aggressive as you can be especially in kind of a rural volunteer department um, what is your first alarm assignment consists of to a single family dwelling fire? And I know this is a volunteer department, but what's, what's a typical response look like for you guys? Well, it all depends on the time of day, uh, what day it is. Um, for a normal fire, if it was going in the evening, we generally have about 10 to 15 guys show up and our SOPs are engine tender, tender, rescue. And that's how we roll out of our barn. Engines number one, and then our tenders, because in a small community, you never know what you're going to have for water. And then how many guys are typically on that apparatus? Do you wait until there's two or do you wait until there's a certain number before you roll out? Wait until there's two, minimum of two in the, in the trucks. Okay. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the rescue that you made? Uh, about what time of year was it? What time of day was it? What was it dispatched as, as excuse me, 
uh, any reports of victims, what rig were you on, what did the building look like, all those, all those things. Can you kind of paint a picture for us? Yeah, you bet. So it was a Friday before Halloween. We were dispatches about quarter to 10 in the morning. We we're dispatched to a structure fire here in town. And I was at home. I lived three blocks from the, from the station. I rolled out and about halfway down there, we got an update that there was a victim trapped inside of the structure. I got down to the station and, and typically in my department with the kind of a bedroom community, I usually get, you know, three to four guys that are generally in town. And, and you know, that day, uh, everyone that's generally in town was out of town that day. So I rolled into the station and there was no one there except for a junior firefighter. Uh, we do have a junior firefighter program, which I think is awesome. You know, it, it kind of gets people interested in the, in the fire service, but he had no fire training. He does come to train. I shouldn't say he has no training. He does come to training with us, but he is not a firefighter per se. And I, time is of the essence. And I was looking around, looking around and no one was there. And, and the, the fire was actually only a couple blocks from our station. I could smell it. I mean, I, I told the, the junior firefighter, we got a worker. And I finally waited enough. It, it seemed like an eternity to me, you know, because I, I just expected guys to start running in the door, you know, let's go, let's go, let's go. And, and uh, I finally told him, I said, we got to roll, get in the engine. And uh, took off out of the barn with just a, a junior firefighter, rolled up on scene. There was smoke coming from the structure. It was a, an old commercial building with an apartment on top. So the fire was on division two, which I, I assume the fire was on division two. There was smoke coming out of the windows. Um, I yelled at the junior firefighter like stretch a line. And luckily this, he, this young man had enough interest and in, in was always at training and that kid stretched a line and you know, I, I put a lot of stress on that young man for being just a junior firefighter and I barked and he, he did everything. He performed like a rock star and, and I threw the truck in the, to the pump gear and got everything going. Uh, crazy, another crazy thing that happened was um, flip the toggle switch on the dash. I uh, got my first green light, you know, there's usually a couple green lights. Uh, I got the first green light and threw it in the drive and got my second green light. I could hear the pump engage and went to open up the door of the truck. Truck died, absolutely died. Pump, motor, everything. Truck completely died. So um, quick control, delete, threw every, shut everything off, refired it up. Truck ran like a, purred like a kitten the rest of the way. But that was, that was hiccup number one, or maybe number two with the no manpower, but Anyways, I got off the truck there and, and uh, the junior firefighter had the line stretched to the base of the steps going up to division two. And I grabbed an air pack uh, while I was packing up another uh, truck roll in tender, one of my tenders with a firefighter and another junior firefighter. So in a matter of a couple minutes, there was just only two firefighters on scene and two junior firefighters. So I just kind of, I yelled at that other firefighter. I said, get a pack on, we're, we're going in now. We're, I didn't have time to wait, we're going in now. 
And while he was packing up, I jumped up on the, the pump panel with the junior firefighter. He was did an awesome job. He um, he had figured out which valve to pull. <laughs> I couldn't figure, I couldn't believe it, but he had, he had the line charged. I reached up and I, I don't know why I we have a preset button on our panel like most trucks do now. I just hit the pressure side and I started turning the throttle. I said, turn this till it gets to 100. In my mind, I knew it was supposed to be at 136 PSI or, you know, but 100 came out of my mind and I, I kind of turned the dial and I ran off and grabbed the line. I pulled it up the steps and checked the door right away thinking, okay, you know, a lot of times your victims are right in that door or right outside of a window, right? So I checked the door, uh, conditions in there were thick, thick black smoke. It, it was banked down hard, uh, no victim. Did a quick sweep in front of the door while I was waiting for the other firefighter to come up and uh, no victim there. So I just went back to training, you know, nowadays we're, we're doing these transitional attacks. So I didn't see any visible fire at this time, but I knew that conditions were hot in there. So I thought, cool the atmosphere. I'm waiting for another firefighter. So right to fight, straight streamed in there for about 15 to 30 seconds, just to cool the atmosphere, what I could. And that also told me, you know, if you're hitting stuff, hitting fire, I didn't hear any crackling or anything like that. So I did that 15 to 30 seconds of transitional tack in the door a little bit. And by then my other firefighter was up the steps and behind me and we started making entry in. And it, it's weird because I, I, I do a size up in my mind and I've, I've been on the fire department long enough where you look mm -hmm. at a building, you can kind of judge and kind of figure out by the outsides of a building. Mm -hmm. So I knew from past that there's big long living room kitchen in the front of this apartment and the bat bedrooms are in the back. So made entry and, and started clearing a path, clearing my path all the way through, had the tick in one hand and moving stuff out of my way in the other hand. And, you know, it was, I got in about 10 feet and I, I moved something and something came off of I think it was a stereo speaker when I was in there after after everything was said and done something came off and dislodged my mask about 10 feet in the in the structure and I stopped put the camera down I couldn't you know I'm trying to just reseal my mask as I'm in there I, I can't you, you know in in a fire you can't reseal your mask and at the time, I wasn't worried about myself. I'm thinking I got positive pressure. My biggest thought was, I don't know where, where my victim is. And what good am I if I lose all my air? If I continue on and I go with my mask leaking like it was, I'm no good. And I've got just one other firefighter that's with me and two junior firefighters running my engine at the time. So... I made the decision to go back out quick and refix my mask. I, you know, I had, to, I had to take my helmet off, take my hood off, and just completely reseal my mask. And I, I hit myself pretty good in the, in the face when I did that, when what was ever I hit myself within the building. So I had to do that. By that time, I had another truck roll in, and there's a firefighter 
packing up that was coming up and I told him to feed line in, feed line in. So anyways, got back in there and started searching again, moving stuff, had the camera in my hand and, and calling out and all of a sudden I seen like three toes. It's probably about um, 20, 25 feet into the structure in the camera because you couldn't see anything. Um, just seen three toes and there's a little hallway about halfway down that turned to the right as on my right. And that's where my victim was laying at was in this hallway about halfway down the, the apartment structure. So mm -hmm. 11, $12,000 camera, that thing went flying. I just grabbed the victim and, and started pulling. <laughs> and luckily my the other firefighter with me, I don't know, for some odd reason, he must have thought that the chief was crazy for just leaving a camera in there. I didn't really care, but he, he grabbed it and, and we, we drug the victim out and we got about halfway back to the door and then the firefighter that was feeding in hose at the door came in and assisted us getting the victim the rest of the way out, out into the, out into the, the deck, the small deck that was on the side of the structure. Okay. Yeah. A lot, a lot right there. Um, the engine shutting off, not having anyone to work the pump panel, having to do that yourself, uh, not having anyone to go interior with initially your mass dislodging and having to go back out. Um, there's a lot there. Um, and I know we only have a, a short amount of time here. But, but something that really stuck out to me is, is the junior firefighter. So you asked a lot from this young gentleman. And just to clarify, what is a junior firefighter to you guys? Is this a high school kid? This is a high schooler. High, high school kid. Uh, we okay. have two junior firefighters. They're in their high school. Um, we, we invite them to train. We invite them to come to calls. Um, we really try to protect them mm -hmm. for what they see. Um, unfortunately, at this time, you know, our junior firefighter, the first one there, he, he struggled a little bit after this, after seeing all this. And I had to talk with him. I told him, I said, you know, I really, I really struggled. I told him, I said, you know, I wish you weren't there, but I'm so thankful that you were there. Yeah, that's one of the places my head went initially, because if he wasn't there initially, do you guys have one station or is there multiple stations? One station. Okay. So all one the rigs station. came from the same station. Yep. Yep. Okay, so you would have had to wait another couple minutes before somebody else got there if you didn't have junior firefighters. The third or potentially fourth person through the door uh, at the fire station would have been the other, because uh, two of the first four were junior firefighters. Yep. Um, and then so either the third or fourth firefighter coming through there was a firefighter with the state certifications and able to go inside structures and, and Correct. probably had some more training right there. So. Yep. A lot right there. So you asked a lot of this young gentleman, a high school guy with no certification, um, obviously had been there training for you guys, but that says a lot, the way that he was able to react in that moment about that young gentleman. So I hope he hears this. And also it says a lot, I think, about the leadership within your department that somebody new here was able to follow those directions and know enough with a very limited amount of experience um, to be able to you know, affect a, a rescue there or help affect a rescue. So kudos to him, kudos to, to your department as well and the leadership within your department. Um, and you know, what would happen if you guys didn't have junior firefighters? So for all the other volunteer departments out there that don't have junior firefighters or cadets or whatever they call them in their area, you know, here's an example of where the direct actions from one or two volunteer fire, or excuse me, uh, junior firefighters 
potentially saved a life. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I can't, I think so highly of this, this individual, and I truly hope that he continues on in the fire service. I hope this didn't scare him. Uh, I've, I've since kept in contact with him. Um, he still is coming to, to calls and whatnot. And I really am trying to look out for him because this individual, he, he's going to make a really great firefighter someday. And, you know, the experience, like I said, I, I'm, I wish he wasn't there, but I'm so thankful because he had to witness some, some truly horrific stuff. Um, but he performed like a rock star and his, what, when he showed up for training, he, he, he training that he has or had really shine that day as he stretched that line and had everything like there was no kinks, no nothing in that line. And we have 200 feet freak necks. Yeah, he probably did a better job than, than a lot of career firefighters would do out there. So I hope Absolutely. he hears this. I hope he hears this, and I hope that he puts this in the perspective that that I think it should be looked at in the fact that he helped save a life here. Um, he did. Or at least gave, gave her the best chance possible. So you guys found out on your way to the fire, you said you are about halfway there when you found out that there was reports of a victim. And then yep. you also had reports on scene. Is that correct? Can you tell us a little bit about who told you and what they told you on scene? Yeah, it was, it was the classic, what you kind of see on, on movies actually is it was um, the, the victim's younger brother was out front and he had tried to get his sibling out and covered with soot, you know, coughing, choking and pointing at the, at the building my siblings there. I mean, pointing right there, very specific, like you see in the movies. Um, I really feel bad. I didn't have the manpower there to, to have him hand him off to someone else until a little bit later on. Um, I do have a, a flight medic that runs with us uh, there again, no fire experience, but the, the flight medic showed up and, and did an awesome job. And, and, they actually took the, the younger sibling aside then and did the EMS care. But, you know, and I didn't think of this till afterwards because I was in high speed. I, I truly was in high speed. But after my afterthoughts were, well, I didn't do a very good job with, with the, the victim's sibling, you know. But I didn't have the manpower there at the other, on the other hand to pass that person off to make sure that they were okay. I was <laughs> focused. You had a lot going on. I had a lot going on. And I was focused on getting in that structure right now. You were you were a pump operator. You were incident command. You were the the company officer of the first in engine. Uh, you had a lot going on there. How old was the was the the younger brother? And then how old was the patient? The patient was nineteen, and the younger brother, I believe, was 15, 15 16 years old. Okay, and then uh, you know about how much did the patient weigh? How big was she? And then how many? How did you remove her and how many people did it take to actually get her out of the structure? I know you, you kind of superficially touched on this, but like, how did you actually grab her? Um, the, the way the patient was laying, I, unfortunate because we've trained on different techniques of moving victims out of, out of structures. Um, this patient was in a, a narrow hallway and there is a lot of stuff in, in the structure per se. Um, it was basically... Like I said, I, I chucked the camera and I just grabbed onto her feet and just started tugging. And that was all I could do. 
until we get about halfway back out and then the room opened up and there's some clearing where I had cleared prior. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it was a tug. Um, I'll be honest. I don't remember how big the, the victim was. Um, not huge, not tiny, somewhere not, normal. Yeah, somewhere in the normal size. Okay. Uh, the, the biggest downfall was, was um, bear skin. And I'll, I'll just leave it at that. But there's tile floor and the the victim didn't have much on. Oh, okay. The, the tile floor, I think, with the sweat yep. or the heat or whatever, you know, just all the condensation from a fire, let alone a hot patient, in a hot victim in a fire. Um, it was across a ceramic tile floor and it was like pulling Velcro the whole way. You know, it was just just friction. Friction was was unbelievable. It was it was a tug. And then were you like two arm, two hands around a leg or a arm around each leg or arm around each leg? I just grabbed both legs. Okay. And then was it the hand that grabbed the legs or was it like your armpit? Okay. Okay. Yeah. No. And there wasn't enough room in there at the time and where, where the victim was. It was just I grabbed ankles both ankles with both hands and just started pulling and there wasn't enough room. Like I said, there wasn't enough room in there to get really to get another uh, firefighter in there to assist until we were about halfway out. And then there was enough opening where we could both work and doing that. And I ended up going up to the head and kind of pushing, you know. Okay. And then brought her down those same stairs you came up. Is that right? Yep. Um, I did not bring the victim down the stairs. When I, when we got the victim outside on this little deck, um, mutual aid was there and there was probably five firefighters and a deputy sheriff standing on that little rinky deck. And they, as soon as we got the victim out the door, they took that and, and they were gone off into the yard. And down, she down was the steps on the yard. She was unconscious at the time. What was the, the end result? Have you followed up? I followed up. Um, it was amazing. It truly is amazing. Um, the EMS staff that was there that showed up. And when, that's one thing I like to point out too. Um, one thing that really struck me, I, I'm standing at the top of these stairs while they're taking the victim down. And I looked over and, and by this time, my mutual aid had showed up and a lot of my other firefighters that were out of town had showed up and, and they had everything EMS. They had the Lucas, everything, the Lucas device, the AED, everything set up in the yard, ready and ready to rock and roll. That's awesome. That, awesome. that really struck me. They, and they, they revived her. I, I was kind of out of the game at that time. I think mentally and physically I was done. Um, I'm trying to still trying to take command, right? That, that command mode is in my head. And I, I knew that I, I can't take command of this. So uh, I, I looked at one of my neighboring departments, fire chief, and I said, you're in command and so I can gather myself. Um, so I was kind of out of the game, but they, they revived the victim in the yard, um, in the ambulance, airlifted her to the, to the larger city near us. And then they airlifted her to another, to a burn unit that night. Um, that was all Friday before Halloween. Uh, the victim came home yesterday. That's awesome. Well, congratulations. That, that's Thank pretty you. impressive.
Um, and I know we could go a lot of directions here. I'll, I'll touch on just a couple things be before we kind of sign off and, and, and try to get your perspectives on these. But you mentioned, and we talked about this, that there were reports of a victim before you guys even got on scene. Within your two departments, what if anything changes um, within you yourself personally, and then with your department, when you hear reports of victims? Does anything else change uh, on your way to the scene? And if so, what changes? Well, I think the biggest thing, the biggest take that, that changed for me was I, I got tunnel vision and I got really um, focused and task oriented, which yeah. is, is um, that just getting task oriented and, and really just tunnel vision focused, um, you know, in my small department, we have not had a victim in a fire since 1979. In, in the smaller department that you work for, this department, in, right? Yeah, yep. in the smaller okay. department that I work for. 1979 was the last time. So, you know, I don't know what changes, you know, besides me getting tunnel vision, you know, I really don't know what would change differently, you know, once that call comes in like that. And that's, you know, that might be the perfect answer. You know, I think the goal for, for most of us should be like, well, nothing changes. That's our, that's our expectation until proven. Otherwise we're expecting somebody to be inside. Absolutely. Um, does that change? I know some people will, will mask up in route if they hear where there's reports of victims trapped um, or maybe they forego uh, laying in if that's normal in their department or maybe they'll go directly into what some will call rescue mode and they won't go if they're on the first in engine or quint they won't bring in a, a line in with them um, does any of that change or is that something that you really can't decide until you get on scene um, well the one thing um it you know not necessarily until we get to scene um we we run clean cabs so all of our scbas on our on this volunteer department or on the outside of the truck okay so we there's no getting masked up early there's none of that um i will use i do like rescue mode i mean it, it's hard because we don't run into this that much and i've tabletopped this a million times this exact scene that that happened to me a month ago i've ran through my head a million times and i've come up with a million different answers of how i'd run mm -hmm. um we run a thousand gallons on our truck on our engine. We have a thousand gallons. Okay. I, I'm not, I'm not going to grab a, a plug right now. And I didn't that day either. Number one, I didn't have the manpower. Number two, I wasn't going to, I had a thousand gallons. You mentioned that, that I think you said it was like engine tender, tender truck or, or something like that. How much of your area is hydranted and how much do you have to, to bring your own water there? very small. We're a community of 650 people and we cover almost hundred square miles and our, our community is extremely small. Uh, so the most of our territory is no, is on hydrogen. So okay. we run tenders, even in town, we, we have some areas where the water supply isn't that great, where we will nurse a tender to the engine. Mm -hmm. We've practiced, we practice that a lot, you know, like it said, how big are your tenders? Uh, we've got uh, 18,000 or yeah, 1800, excuse me, 1800 and a 2000. Okay. 1800 and a 2000. I think that's a really smart move, you know, not knowing much about your department, but a foregoing 
catching a plug if you have one there because you have a thousand gallons of water. And then I love nurse ops. Uh, I think that's a smart move. Um, at least for the first 10 to 15 minutes of a fire, five to 10 minutes of a fire, that makes a lot of sense with almost 3,000 gallons. Absolutely. I think, you know, uh, uh, the fire service as a whole, especially small rural communities, we get, we get locked on, we need to drop a drop tank and, oh, we got, where's, you know, we're just do some nursing operations. You got almost 3,000 gallons What's one lesson that you learned from this fire that you'd like to pass on to our listeners? Training, 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 training. Look, I've, I've thought about this for a long time since this incident. And, you know, I think across the board, across the whole country, you know, fires are down. We don't have the fires like we used to have the fires and you still have to stay focused with training. You still have to keep all of your, everything honed and all your skills honed because you don't know when that next call is coming in. I've always said, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And sometimes that when is a long time in between, but you have to train because you don't know when you're gonna be faced with. I look back and that day for me personally, I didn't have time to think. It was all instinct. I just did. And, and that a lot of that's from my training. And yeah, I'm a full-time firefighter besides being a chief up here. So I have opportunities to train a lot more, but it's still important even on the volunteer side because everyone thinks, oh, it's the paid, paid departments. They get this, they get that. And no, it happens everywhere. And when you're back is in the corner when you're cornered you're going to revert to the your level of training you don't have time to think you're going to revert to your level of training and you just do and I learned that probably that's probably my biggest lesson out of this fire is I didn't have time to think I didn't have time to react I just did and that all comes back to training you know, I was talking to one of my firefighters afterwards. I was explaining to him what happened to the trunk. And he goes, well, I would have lost my shit if that happened. And I said, dude, I didn't have time to lose my shit. There was no time to lose that. I just had to do. I teach pump, pump operations. I, and I always call it my control alt delete. You know, if something goes wrong with the truck, it's like a computer, man. Control alt delete. Shut everything down quickly. Get it back going. He's like, I would have lost it. And I said, don't have time. And I think that goes back to training, training on your pump operations, training on your search operate, you know, how you search uh, everything. It just it comes back to training. Yeah. Well, well said. I liked, I really liked how you worded that initially. Like I didn't have time to think I went off instinct um, and, and obviously we can steer our instinct with our training. So I think there's a lot of wisdom there, but I think just the, how authentic you were when you're like, you know what? I didn't have time to think. I don't think any of us, I, I think if we're being truly honest, we can all picture like the most stressful scenes that we've ever been a part of in our career. And I think we'd all agree that the, that's exactly how it went for us. Like you forgot your protocols. You forgot, you know, your medication. You don't remember any of that stuff. 
Um, you forgot some of the, the, the stuff that you were taught. So even though you've trained on some of this stuff, you know, six months, six weeks, six years ago, a lot of it goes out the door. Um, and so you really have to make this stuff intuitive to make sure it's there when you need it. Um, how has this fire changed your mindset towards the job overall? You mentioned about how you train, um, but kind of specifically how you search. Has it, has it changed anything with how you search um, or your overall mindset? No, I, I'm going to still teach the same search methods that I, I teach up here to this day. Um, I like to do, I like to call it like a leapfrog search style where someone anchors the door. It, it usually a crew of three or four, someone anchors the door with a camera. You can send a couple firefighters in, into each individual room, especially on a residential house. Um, and that conserves your, your oxygen, it conserves your energy, you know, everyone kind of leapfrogs, they'll search a room, someone anchors the door with a tick. That's kind of the, the method that I like to teach. And I don't think it's going to change. Um, I'll be honest, you know, on that fire, I didn't have any other manpower. The, the firefighter was, was, um, you know, trying to stretch the line in a difficult stretch. So it was just go, but you know, if, if it comes down to a, a fire where I have the manpower there, and that's what I like to teach is that style of search. So I, I'll stick to that style. I, I really am a fan of it. Awesome. Uh, I think we're about ready to wrap up. Is there anything else before we head out that you want to tell our listeners? No, I, you know, I, I just thank you for the opportunity to tell my story. Um, at first, I was like, no, I can't, I don't want to tell my story because um, number one, I was like, everything that could go wrong to me went wrong, you know, and that's normal fire, you know, everything that that first five minutes is always hectic, even on just a room and contents fire, right? But um, I'm just I made up my mind that I thought, you know what, there's something, there's something to be said about my story. And to me, that's training train hard, keep training. And I hope your listeners out there take this and, and really focus again on training. I know I've really hit my department hard on training again. You know, it seems like it's hard. Sometimes guys say, Oh, we're training on this again. Oh, we're training on this again. And we don't get the calls to back up that training. So I think guys get a little discouraged, but you gotta keep training. And, and that's my, that's my biggest goal to sharing my story. Yeah. Chief, thank you so much for, for coming on here and sharing your experience with us. We really appreciate your time and your authenticity uh, for everyone listening. If you or anyone else, you know, makes a grab, please go to firefighterrescuesurvey.com and fill out a quick survey. That's one survey per rescue. So we can all get smarter, better, and faster. And if you make a grab and want to share your experience with all of our listeners, Please reach out to either Grant Schwalbe, Justin McWilliams, or myself, Nick Ledeen, and we'll try to record an episode. Lastly, thank you to all our listeners. Take care.